0: By now I'm sure you've heard about Alfie Evans, the 23-month-old British boy who was removed from life support last week. I was not in that Liverpool hospital for the year or so that Alfie was on a ventilator and receiving care. I do not have all the details and there is so much misinformation out there that it's hard to keep it all straight. What I do know is that when someone is at the end of life with no prospect of recovery, and it's the doctors who are the experts that can tell us when that is. They are offered palliative care. That means there is no extraordinary care, no respirators, no feeding tubes, no IV. It doesn't mean the person is starved or dehydrated to death. But at that point, the person's body cannot process nutrition, and so forcing food or fluids into the body is difficult, even harmful. The body is shutting down. I don't know how Alfie was treated. But I can hope that he was receiving adequate palliative care. If that was the case, then it was not euthanasia. Alfie's death was not hastened. He simply was allowed to die a natural death. But I don't know. Let's hope that Alfie's parents, Tom and Kate, are able to find solace in knowing that the care given to their child was the best appropriate care and that he is now in heaven interceding for them. I'm Deacon Pedro and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello and welcome to an all-new Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. I am Billy Chan. And Emily, again, is not here, Billy. I think she's mad at you.
1: No, no, no. I miss her a lot. Yeah, I know you miss her, but
0: uh, does she miss you? That's the question. Always. You can ask her. So Emily's (laughs) off at some conference or something. I don't know. It sounds interesting, but it was too interesting for us to try to connect with her. So she's not here. But you are, Billy. Yes. And our listeners are here. Yes. And they're listening and to And they a, all like me, I know. They mm. do. They do. And they send you comments and questions for Church for Dummies. Yeah, please send more. <laughs> um, please send more. Um, a reminder that uh, I, I actually think that a lot of people listening to this program in the car on the radio. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're not in an area where the program is broadcast over the air, you can get it on our website, saltonighttv.org slash radio. You can also get it on iTunes for free and also now on Google play um, for, for free as well. So lots of opportunities for people to listen to the show um, later on today, because Emily's not here. Allison is going to be with us um, with our news and, oh, she's uh, going to talk about the news? Yeah, Allison is going to sit in for Emily to do our news. Great. And then after that, we have Church for Dummies. You're yes. back. Yes. So do you yes. have you have a good question for us today, I have a Billy. really
1: good question. According to you. According to me, okay. <laughs> it's a very good question. So you will be about Pope Francis again. Okay. But um, yeah, I will say more later.
0: A question. Just a, keep it. A question about the papacy yeah. or something to do with Popes, I don't know. Okay, so, and it's not a dumb question <laughs> for dummies. Anyway, Billy, so here's a serious question for you. Okay. How do you handle suffering and death? Wow. How do you respond?
1: You always ask me a <laughs> question on the spot. Okay, I... Well, yeah. Um, suffering and death.
0: Like, do you handle it well? Do you, do you take it
2: hard?
1: Recently, because I'm a catechist, Yes. Recently uh we were talking about uh why God let bad things happen. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. And one of my students answered it really in a really like logical way. Yes. Saying that God doesn't want that one bad thing happen. Right. God give us freedom uh-huh. and we made bad things. Yes. So but you know in emotionally, you know, how do you treat suffering? I always go to Go back to prayer. Yeah. And go back to my wife. Yes. (laughs) Talk about it. Yeah. Um uh, yeah. And listen some music.
0: No, you're right, but it's still hard. I mean, even if we know in your head, you know God doesn't want things bad things to happen, you know, it's still hard. No, you still have to deal with it.
1: Yes, because emotionally you will like last you will last quite long.
0: Yeah. And it's not easy to look always at the bright side and think and think eternally like I always think yes I got to think about the eternal And but I'm not in the eternal yeah. I'm in the but temporal. I need to be honest to, yeah. to
1: all the audience uh, I sometimes go to Pedro <laughs> Deacon Pedro to talk about it yeah, and, and I give you a good pastoral
0: yeah. I hold your hand that's it that's <laughs> and you all. always said you love me I say I love you yeah. um, <laughs> the reason why I'm asking is because in our second half hour I've just read this amazing book it's called Di- Defying Gravity and it's by uh, Joe Sikora, who some of you might know. He's got a radio program on Relevant Radio, the Joe Sikora show on Relevant Radio. and uh, um, Gravity. Defying Gravity. I scientific, know. huh? No, it's not a scientific <laughs> book at all. In fact, it's, but it's it's anyway, Joe will tell us why it's called Defying Gravity. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a marriage and family therapist and, like I said, a host of the, the show on Relevant Radio. And this book is his story of his family. Um, His two children, John and Ben, were diagnosed with a terminal, degenerative neurological disease. Um, Very, you know, basically, when they were six years old, they were basically told, "Your son's going to live twenty more years, and he's progressively going to get. They're going to lose their eyesight. They're going to. It's 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 a horrible twenty years. Yes. So he's going to tell us how the how how he and his wife Lori reacted and responded to that, and how they still lived. Their lives with their two boys um, through that experience, and how they, in his words defied gravity um,
1: it's not a short period twenty years
0: it's very short anyway so i'm 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 hoping that everybody can stick around to to listen to this conversation uh-huh. with Jose Cora about his experience with uh, his family that's coming up in our second half hour so that's in about twenty five minutes or so um. And uh, if you're not able to, because you're driving or something, you know you can always come to our website, saltandlighttv.org/radio. You can listen to the whole program there. Or you can, as I said, download it uh, off iTunes or Google Play. So in about 25 minutes, Joe Sikora about his uh, book, Define Gravity, and his uh, experience with his his family story, and then at the end of the program, Billy. We're gonna be. I've, I love that. <laughs> there's always new singers. I'm always meeting new singer-song Catholic singer-songwriters. So there's a young man from from Texas called Kyle Sinkuli. Texas. Yes, from Texas. Kyle Sinkuli, and he's doing some excellent music. So, we're going to have Kyle on the program at the end of the program. I'm going to be speaking with Kyle Sinkuli. Um, so, all that is coming up, but first, we should start with a song, as, as we always do. So, here's Kyle Sinkuli with Promised Land from his album, Walk With Me.
2: colors as the sun sets on the night the moon is hanging low and full as it lights up my life oh but it leaves some shadows in the darkness i'm afraid Wandering blind and barren by myself i need the sun to light my way i need the sun to light my way For a hundred years I walk a thousand miles Just as long as you are near I, I can make you to the promised land
0: That was Kyle Sincouli with Promised Land from his album Walk With Me. We're going to be speaking with Kyle Sincouli in our second half hour, and in about five minutes, Church for Dummies with Billy Chan. But first, Alison Kenny is sitting in for Emily here with our news.
3: Hi, Pedro. Hi,
0: Alison. Nice to have you. Oh,
3: thanks. Good to be back.
0: So what's in our news today?
3: All right. So today, our top story is that a judge in Australia has ruled that Cardinal George Pell must right. stand trial on charges of alleged sexual abuse.
0: Right. So he's the Archbishop of Sydney. Of Melbourne. Of Melbourne, actually, by, yes. But he's
3: so a cardinal. He's yes. a cardinal, yes. So he is the most senior Vatican official to ever have been charged in the sex abuse crisis in the church. He's the prefect of the secretariat for the economy. So Uh he's essentially the Vatican's finance minister. Right. And for the past year, he's been on a leave of absence because he has to stay in Australia, given that he Mm -hmm. is technically out on bail. Yes. So... There was a preliminary hearing that's been held over the past month, and Mm -hmm. a judge has said that about half of the charges in the hearing are to be dismissed, including the most serious ones. Really, But, yes, the judge then has ruled that some of the charges' cases are strong enough to warrant being tried by a jury. Hmm. We don't know the total number of charges that have been, you know, that hasn't been made public. And Pell has emphatically pleaded that he is not guilty. Right. What we do know is that the charges stem from two periods of time. One in the 70s when he was... Present in um, his hometown called Ballarat, uh-huh. which is a city of about a hundred thousand people. I lived in Australia for about three years yeah. in Melbourne. Uh-huh. Went to the rural areas um, in Victoria, which is the state yeah. that uh, Melbourne's in, and then also lived elsewhere. And you know, there's a lot of um, distress, and the public opinion is very much against him. And people really? are, I mean, rightly so, angry about the the sex abuse crisis. But there's a lot of political pressure that this judge is feeling and the sentiment in the country is very much against Hmm. Pell. So that definitely, I think, played a role in in why these charges are going forward. Interesting.
0: Yeah, because I had heard that some of the charges were dropped and I thought oh, they've dropped everything, but clearly they didn't drop everything. No,
3: they okay. apparently, some charges stem from his time mm-hmm. in Ballarat, so okay. more in the country, and then from time when he was the um, Archbishop of Melbourne, okay. which is a very large yeah, metropolitan course. area, yeah. akin to something like a Toronto or maybe like a Chicago.
0: Right, right. Mm-hmm. Oh, anyway, I'm sure we'll hear lots more about this story as it develops.
3: Absolutely. It's definitely being reported on a lot yeah. by the secular press and the yeah, Catholic of press course. too. And then, mm-hmm. another, our other big story is that as of May 1st, the Canadian Parliament, the House of Commons, has called on Pope Francis to apologize on Canadian soil for abuses that occur, uh, occurred at church-run res- residential schools. Right. Me. And the, so we've talked about this story before mm-hmm. on the show. Emily updated us. The uh, Canadian Bishops' Conference released a letter at the end of March yeah. saying that the Pope was not going to come visit anytime soon and that he felt he couldn't personally respond to to mm. the Truth and Reconciliation Committee's request for him to apologize in Canada. Mm-hmm. So politicians were quite angry about that and then put a motion forward to have the Pope apologize. And it received all part party support. So the you know left wing, the right wing, the vote went through. They unanimously pretty much, it was a 269 to 10 vote, Wow, voted to try to put this motion forward. Mm-hmm. Now, the motion is not binding.
0: No. Of
3: course. So Pope Francis doesn't have to come. And, you know, there's, again, this is a very divisive issue that the Truth and Reconciliation Commission report came out a couple years ago. And they denounced the government, not the church, Mm -hmm. for pursuing a policy of what they call cultural genocide. And there's a lot of hurt, a lot of upset about this kind of thing. But the Pope's reasoning for coming, as we've heard a lot, is that he believes there's more work to be done. Mm -hmm. And we've seen him apologize when he was in Latin America. Yes, you know, in the past couple of years. We've seen him um, you know, take a lot of responsibility and put forward apologies mm-hmm. to all Native mm-hmm. peoples. So it remains to be seen whether we'll see that in a Canadian yeah. context.
0: Yeah, and in fact, uh, a couple of weeks ago when we did report, when em- Emily was telling us about when the, the Canadian bishops put that statement mm-hmm. out, the, the the second one, mm-hmm. I thought it was fairly complete. So if people want to know more about this on the, the Canadian bishops website, the CCCB website, mm-hmm. um, that information is all there and it's fairly clear. And I think it explains fairly well why the Holy Father feels that it's not necessarily up to him to apologize or, or what mm-hmm. that apology would mean and what it wouldn't exactly. mean. And, and I mean, yeah. it's, it's more complicated than that. But it's interesting that a government of a country can think that they can <laughs> pass a motion <laughs> yeah. to ask the pope to do something mm-hmm. like what's, what's going to happen. Anyway, I'm sure we'll hear more about that um, in the coming weeks. Thank you, Alison. No problem. Thank you. Thank you for helping us today. Alison Kenny is associate producer here at Salt and Light Television, and you can follow her at The Aliest.
4: This is Stephen. And
5: I'm Rachel. And we are the Mosleys. And you're listening to the Salt Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Deacon Pedro.
0: Pedro. I'm Deacon Pedro. You can stay in touch with what's happening on this show by following me on Twitter at DeaconPedroGM. And now it's time for.
1: Church for Dummies. With
0: Billy Chan. Billy, I've missed you. I miss everyone. Well, I missed you having, doing this segment, but it's yeah. not like I've missed you because I've seen you. <laughs> You're here.
1: Yes, in front of you. In physically. front of me, Physically in okay, front of Okay, so I do not want to waste more time. The question. Okay, yes. Question today about the Pope. It's about the Pope because, um, you know, we uh, like a few weeks ago, uh-huh. there's a new published. Uh, I mean, paper. and Yes. And what we call is a exhortation, An apost- apostolic exhortation. Yes. Uh, it's called, okay, I will try to pronounce it in Latin, okay? Okay. Gaudete et exultate.
0: Gaudete et exultate. <laughs> yes. Okay, yes. anyway, good, in English, good it's rejo- rejoice how and how be glad. How to speak Latin with a Chinese accent. <laughs>
1: With French. With Billy oh. Chan. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so okay. Okay, uh, according to what I know, there were four uh, published paper by Pope Francis. Yes. And some of them uh, called Encyclical. Well, uh, yeah. Some of them called Exaltation. Yeah. So like um, the first one, it was uh, Evangelii, Evangelii Gaudium, Gaudium. And then the latter... Laudato Si', Laudato Si', and Amoris Latitia, Amoris Latitia. So, what okay. are they? They're documents.
0: They're I know, but... documents. no, you're right. Okay, so I think only one of them is an encyclical. What La- is it? Laudato Si' was an encyclical. Is an encyclical. Okay. The other ones are all apostolic exhortations. Okay, they are so, all
1: alien language to me. Yeah, so... they
0: are. You know what? And actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the answer that I always give you that you always roll your eyes because it's not the answer <laughs> you want to hear, but it actually doesn't matter. What? It doesn't matter if it's an encyclical or an apostolic constitution or an apostolic letter or an apostolic exhortation okay. or 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 a general audience or a homily. I mean, right, it's the pope speaking. However, it, and in principle it okay, in principle it does matter because the, the the pope when he does a homily, he is preaching like a pastor, but what he says in the homily doesn't have as much weight, authoritative weight as what he would say when he writes an encyclical, for example. Um, It doesn't mean that what he says in a homily you you can ignore. It's still, you know, I mean what a priest says in a homily, I suppose a priest could make a mistake in a homily, I suppose Mm -hmm. the Pope could make a mistake in a homily. Mm -hmm. He shouldn't. None of us should. But an encyclical or an apostolic exhortation are documents that have a little more authority. Okay. Right? So we need to believe that? Well, believe is maybe not the right word to Mm -hmm. use. I think we need to pay attention to them and follow what they say. So, um, and I think that the main difference between an encyclical and and an apostolic exhortation is that the encyclical is a letter that deals generally with matters of faith and morals. So more doctrine. So Laudato Si, for example, it deals with the, 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 how the environment, but from from a, from a faith and morals point of view. Mm. So it's like our, our relationship with creation is a moral issue. Okay. As opposed to an apostolic exhortation that deals more with practical, more pastoral things. That's why it's called an exhortation because I'm ex- exhorting you to do something. So usually after a synod of bishops, the document that is produced after is an exhortation, apostolic exhortation. So Evangelii Gaudium, came out of the Synod of Bishops, on the joy of the gospel, the uh, uh, proclaiming the gospel. Uh, the, uh, Amoris Laetitia came out of the Synod on the family. And now, um, uh, Gaudete exultate, be glad and rejoice. It's also an apostolic exhortation because it's giving us kind of practical, uh, 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 practical tips, practical things that we can apply to our faith. So it's not so much a doctrinal document, it's more of a pastoral document. But that doesn't mean that encyclical is not pastoral or that there isn't doctrine in the exhortations. But so that's kind say, of a difference.
1: Can I say is a guideline for us to follow the faith? Yes. Or follow Bible?
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, they are. They are they're, they're the same way that St. Paul would write letters. Okay. Those letters, he would exhort people in the letters. It's the same thing. So St. Paul wrote a letter to the Romans. Pope Francis wrote a letter to uh, the whole world okay, about so, caring for the environment.
1: Okay, so for the past pope, there there were a lot of of, of, yes, of letters are. like that, right? Like St. Uh, yeah, John Paul II. Yeah,
0: tons of encyclicals. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All the popes have written encyclicals and exhortations, and some might do more encyclicals because their 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 approach is maybe more doctrinal. Some would do more uh, uh, exhortations because it's more. Their more pastoral approach. So I, I see. But they're both important, and they both need to be followed.
1: Okay, I will read it then. Okay, yeah, we <laughs> should all read
0: all these all these uh, documents from the Pope. Thank you. Thank you, Billy Chan, former radio host and our web guru here at Salt and Light Media. He is our Church for Dummies expert. You can follow him at the Joe Chan.
6: Hey, I'm Tori Harris, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro.
4: For the sixth Sunday of Easter, I wish to offer some reflections on the first reading from the Acts of the Apostles for this day, and then some thoughts on friendship that flow from John's Gospel, chapter 15, and from the teaching of Pope Benedict XVI. Christianity demands that the believer not only grasp intellectually the main tenets of the faith, but also act on them in daily life. The extraordinary story from the Acts of the Apostles of Cornelius's conversion in the first reading certainly illustrates this message. It's the longest individual narrative in the Acts of the Apostles. The theme of this narrative is divine compulsion. Peter is the least prepared to accept Cornelius into the Christian community. He even refuses to admit him two times. Peter had to be converted before he can convert Cornelius. Peter came to the realization that God's gifts were given to all those who listened to the Word of God. Peter's question, can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have just received the Holy Spirit, just as we have? It echoes the Ethiopian's question and Philip's response in the earlier story in the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 8, what's to prevent me from being baptized? Peter's actions with Cornelius had far-reaching implications struck at once with the exceptional sincerity, hospitality, and deep goodness of Cornelius and his household. Peter spontaneously exclaimed, God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. God shows no partiality. The statement broke centuries of customs, even of theology, that Israel alone was God's chosen people, separated from all other nations as God's very own. Peter had no choice but to baptize the household of Cornelius and he was criticized for his very ecumenical approach, but Peter responded to his critics, Who was I that I could hinder God? When his critics heard these words, they were silenced and began to glorify God. St. Paul, too, found the same spontaneous manifestation of faith among the Gentiles, and so he made the exciting declaration, Now we turn to the Gentiles. The controversy over the law was to linger for a long time so that Paul dedicated to this topic his most comprehensive theological work, that famous letter to the Romans. In the Gospel for the fifth Sunday of Easter, from St. John chapter 15, we hear the powerful words, I do not call you servants any longer, but I've called you friends. We are not useless servants, but friends. The Lord calls us friends. He makes us friends. He gives us his friendship. Jesus defines friendship in two ways. There are no secrets between friends. Christ tells us everything he hears from the Father. He gives us his full confidence, and with confidence, also knowledge. He reveals his face to us, his heart. He shows his tenderness for all, his passionate love that goes to the folly of the cross. If we were to name one of the most frequent and important themes of Benedict XVI's teaching and preaching throughout his pontificate, it would certainly be his invitation to be a friend of Jesus. He sounded this theme clearly during the Mass for the election of the Roman Pontiff in St. Peter's Basilica before the Conclave in 2005. Benedict said, adult and mature is a faith profoundly rooted in friendship with Christ. This friendship opens us to all that is good and gives us the measure to discern between what is true and what is false, between deceit and truth. I remember how moved I was as I listened to the Holy Father's homily at the beginning of his Petrine ministry on April 24, 2005. Three times during that memorable inaugural homily, Benedict XVI spoke of the importance of friendship with Jesus. He said the church as a whole and all her pastors, like Christ, must set out to lead people out of the desert towards the place of life, towards friendship with the Son of God, towards the one who gives us life, and life in abundance. He also said there's nothing more beautiful than to know him and to speak to others of our friendship with him. Only in this friendship are the doors of life opened wide. Only in this friendship is the great potential of human existence truly revealed. Only in this friendship do we experience beauty and liberation. Then in his Angelus address in January 2006, Benedict said again, Friendship with the teacher guarantees profound peace and serenity to the soul, even in the dark moments and in the most arduous trials. When faith meets with dark nights in which the presence of God is no longer felt or seen, friendship with Jesus guarantees that in reality nothing can ever separate us from his love. Once again, in August of 2007, the theme of friendship was front and center. Benedict said true friendship with Jesus is expressed in the way of life. It's expressed with goodness of heart, with humility, meekness and mercy, love for justice and truth, a sincere and honest commitment to peace and reconciliation. We might say that this is the identity card that qualifies us as his real friends this is the passport that will give us access to eternal life. How do we understand the tremendous gift of friendship in our lives? I've always looked to the life and writings of blessed John Henry Newman as a brilliant model of friendship. Cardinal Newman truly speaks heart to heart, cor ad cor loquitur, a phrase that he chose as his personal model. There was nothing superficial about Newman's way of relating to so many different people. He looked at them and loved them for who they were with the beatification of that English cardinal in 2010, it's good for us to consider some of Newman's understanding of friendship. Cardinal Newman had a great appreciation for the nobility of human virtues as evidenced in the literature and history of ancient Rome and Greece. At the same time, the saints that he most admired, St. Paul, the ancient church fathers, his spiritual father, St. Philip Neri, and St. Francis de Sales, they could all be described as humanly attractive. Newman had an extraordinary capacity and gift for friendship, which often translated into leadership. No one could describe Cardinal Newman as extroverted or lighthearted. We need only glance at the many volumes of his letters and diaries, or look at the index of names in his autobiographical works to see that he shared deep friendships with hundreds of people throughout his life. This personal influence has been exerted very powerfully upon millions of people who continue to read his works and discover what friendship really means. I could not write about friendship without passing along a warning to countless women and men who search for it every day. The great popularity of online social networking sites such as Facebook and many others merits careful attention, reflection, and scrutiny. It's been said that if Facebook were a country, it would be the eighth most populated nation worldwide. We must carefully ask several questions. What is it doing for us? These tools help to bring people together and improve social networks. For example, homebound, the infirm, chronically ill, and elderly people can truly connect with a community of others in the same situation and form new bonds of solidarity. But there are also related questions. What is it doing to us? What is it doing to our sense of social boundaries, to our sense of individuality, to our friendships? Friendship in these virtual spaces is quite different from real friendship. Friendship is a relationship that involves the sharing of mutual interests, reciprocity, trust, and the revelation of intimate details over time and within specific contexts. True friendship depends on the mutual revelations and can only flourish within the boundaries of privacy and modesty. On social networking sites, however, there's a concept of public friendship which is not necessarily the friendship spoken of by Jesus in the Gospel, nor Benedict XVI in his wonderful teachings, nor Cardinal Newman in his letters. Because the distance and abstraction of our online friendships and online relationships can also lead to a kind of systemic desensitization as a culture if we are not wise, prudent, and attentive to these new realities. We expose everything, but are we feeling anything? Such friendships, or rather acquaintances, are quite different from the cor ad core loquitur so ardently desired and expressed and experienced by Jesus with his disciples, or by an impetuous Peter, a Roman official named Cornelius, a British Cardinal named John Henry, and a German Pope named Benedict who have modeled their lives on the Good Shepherd and faithful friends to every human being.
0: That was Father Tom Rosica with a reflection for the sixth Sunday in Easter, goodness and friendship throughout the ages. For more reflections with Father Thomas Rosica, visit our website, saltandlighttv.org. Coming up in our second half hour, a featured chat with Joe Sikora, and we meet singer-songwriter Kyle Sinkuli. So don't go anywhere. Welcome to the Salt and Light Hour, Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. I don't have to ask you how you would respond if you found out that your child was diagnosed with a rare and fatal neurological illness and that his life expectancy would be about 20 years. But how would you respond if you found out that both your children had the same condition? That is the story of the Sikora family. In his book, Defying Gravity, Joe Sikora shares how he and his wife received the courage and the support that they needed to give their children abundant, fulfilling lives in spite of their gradual decline. And to tell us more, um, I'm very, very delighted that we are joined now by Joe Sikora. Joe, welcome to the Salt Light Hour
5: uh deacon thank you so much for having me on i really appreciate it thank you
0: um no i really appreciate that what you've done to to share this this story of it's a difficult story but it's a story of hope as well and and i really appreciate that that you took the time to write it um for people who are uh, i mean most of us have never heard of Batten disease so both your boys john and ben had this rare disease it's called Batten disease can you briefly tell us what the disease does to the to the people who have it
5: Right, and and most people have never heard of it. Most doctors have, oh, like, scratched their heads and go, wow. what is it, juvenile Batten disease? So it's very rare. But basically the onset, uh, it's a genetic disease, uh-huh. um, and the onset is about 7 years old where kids start losing their sight. Eventually, no, uh-huh. they go blind. Right. Uh, it's followed by seizures, usually in the early teens, loss of cognitive and motor function, and kids generally... Um, succumb to it, die, you know, late teens to early twenties. So that's the progression. It's not pretty.
0: So they're progressively getting, losing more, more abilities kind of thing as they grow older until they, they are not able to, I guess, even walk, breathe, feed themselves.
5: Yes, correct. Everything is always, it's, it's not how natural life is supposed to progress. You know, with young people, you grow independently, but with bat and disease, it's, it's degenerative, and right. it just robs you of, you know, all of your functioning capacity, um, you know. So what goes... So it's, it's, a, it's a nasty disease.
0: Yeah, what goes through your mind when you first find out that John and, and uh, well, I guess that John had it, and then you found out that Ben had it, too?
5: Yeah, it, you know, it's, it's hard to, with that kind of shock, it's hard for the brain to assimilate, you know. Mm-hmm. You, you just... You know, the death of a child is something that you, the brain just has difficulty comprehending. And and so a lot of it is, you know, you're kind of in denial. You say, no, this can't be true. You look at your beautiful child and you say, I, yeah. I don't see disease. I just see beauty and health. And, and uh, you know, we first, you know, got the diagnosis with John and then we still lived in denial. The doctor said, you know, you need to get Ben, your other son, checked because there's mm-hmm. a one in four chance because yeah. it's genetic that he has it. And we just said, no, no, he doesn't have it. He doesn't have it, but we'll get him checked. And so it was about six months later, in fact, that we found out that Ben also uh, suffered from the same disease. So it's, Mm -hmm. you know, it was, it was brutal.
0: Yeah. Now, maybe, maybe it's fair to tell everybody right now at this point, John did die two and a half years ago. He was 24 years old.
5: He, he did. John, John died two and a half years ago. And, um, you know, of course, e- even though you live, you know, I mean, you and I know we're going to die. <laughs> but yes. if the doctor told you, hey, Deacon, or hey, Joe, you've got a week to go, or something yeah. like that, it, it would be, you'd experience all kinds of emotions, of course, but, you know, part of it would be, huh, what? It's its hard to understand. And, and that's what we experienced with John, even though we had lived with a lifetime of this. It was shocking and still devastating and painful. Yet, I've got to say, you know and you you've read the book and i really appreciate you taking the time to read the book it's not a book it's it's not depressing it's no. it's moving you know it's emotional but the whole story that i really wanted to share is that despite the crosses that we're going to carry in our life and we will you're going mm-hmm. to encounter health crisis loss death you can live joyfully and and that's a result of the gospel message that's yeah. the result of what god did for us you know when god enters into the mess of our lives you experience that grace and, and that that's what we discovered
0: yeah and and i mean it's it's easy it's easy to say we need to choose joy but choo- i mean choosing joy every day in the midst of those little daily or maybe not they weren't always little but struggles is not that easy right um but but you have to choose right. joy every moment every day
5: yes yeah, absolutely, and you're right, it's it's not easy, and frequently it is the little things, but, you know, God always gives us a choice. We can choose to follow him or not. I, yeah. I always go back to, I love the Apostle Paul, and Paul in, in chapter 4 of Philippians, he he speaks so beautifully, you know, and I'm going to paraphrase it badly, but he says, <laughs> you know, I've I found the secret to being joyful, to yeah. being happy, no matter what it is I have. And, and I, I think Paul's yeah. discovery is what I... Discovered, which is our circumstances don't have to dictate whether or not we're joyful or happy. Yeah, they never will. It's really that choice to see God, to experience God. You know, in our in our everyday life, that's what brings joy.
0: Yeah, I'm glad that you. So, it's, it's, sorry to interrupt, but I'm glad that you quoted scripture because one of the things I actually liked about the book, and I don't know how I don't know how conscious it was that you did this. That the book is not just, as you said, a, a hopeful story, a, a story about finding light in the darkness, but I love how it actually helped me see some scripture passages differently because you, it's almost like some of it was. So can you, um, you know, for example, when you, when you speak about the seed that must die right, um, and be buried, um, what, tell us about that because there's a lot of lessons that you learned, um, but not all yeah. the lessons are scriptural in our lives, but I think they can be.
5: Right. Yeah. I mean, th- that was the journey for me, is as I moved through, as I was writing this book, and it was a process of years, quite honestly, uh-huh. and I would go back over these incidents that I had experienced, some of them just really goofy and funny, you know, yeah. watching my goofy dog and, yes. you know, going, oh, wait a second, and, and scriptures would come to mind, and I would meditate and think about it and put it in the context of my life, and the parable of the seed, you know, mm-hmm. the... The seed must die, Christ says, you know, yeah. before it can really sprout eternal life. And, and I would say the seed, for me, and I'm not a theologian, you're, you're better equipped to talk about this than I would am, but for me, the seed is what we think our lives are. And, and, and I think, in a sense, God says, no, you've got to bury that so that it can become real life, the life that I'm offering you. Yeah. And, and, and again, for me, it was to let go of my hopes, my dreams, and, and and place them before God so that I could discover new life, and that's really that's that was this discovery. That's yeah. that's what I found is that new life that only God can give.
0: Yeah, that's so hard though for all of us to let go of our expectations yeah. of what our my life should be or shouldn't be or could have been. Um, you mentioned, I mean, John John passed two and a half years ago. Ben is still alive. Ben knows that he has the same condition as his brother. He knows what what is coming. How does that help him, or make it harder for him to let go? Do you know what I'm asking? Yeah. And I guess for well, you, for you and your wife Lori too, to know what's coming, it doesn't make yeah. it easier to let go.
5: No, you know, because of the nature of the disease, and because it's a brain disease, and you know, there's some some understanding eludes Ben. <laughs> you know, he, he doesn't quite get it right, completely, right. Um, which is a real grace. Uh, but we really focused on living life in the moment. And I, and I really think, again, that's that's the message. That's what God is saying, is you, you can't live in the fear of the future. You can't live in the regret of the past. I am right here, right now. Yeah. And so that has always been our focus, is, is really experiencing joy and grace and love and laughter And yes, tears and sorrow, but all in the moment, and bringing God into each and that and every moment. And so that's how we've lived life—not necessarily with, oh, we've got this hatchet over our heads, we're 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 facing pending doom. But where are we today? Uh How can we look around and find God in the in our midst today? And and so that's how we've approached our life, Um, you know, rather than worrying about what's going to happen or when is the good Lord going to take them or not it's like mm-hmm. where are we today what are we doing today
0: yeah and that's a so lesson. that's been my focus no and that's yeah. a lesson that's good for all of us at any yeah. point in our lives um, Joe again I, I'm i so glad that I mean I'm not glad of the circumstances but, but in a way I'm glad that that you were able to you and Lori were able to to choose to, 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 to learn what you learned to choose joy and to pass that on to the rest of us um, because yeah. it's uh, it's an important lesson. And, and thanks to John and Ben, too, who I think also had a hand in in teaching you a lot.
5: Oh, they did. <laughs> Every day. <laughs> Every As day. And the lessons continue, there's no doubt about For
0: it. For sure, and they continue. And, and I,
5: you know, just so you know, I, I wouldn't trade my life with anybody. You yeah. know, what I've experienced, the love I've experienced, um, the graces I've experienced cannot be bought, uh, they, they, but they are there for you and everyone to experience yes that, and that's what god offers us amen and, and by the way all all of the proceeds of the book mm. are being donated I'm, I'm not making a dime off the book we're actually donating all the proceeds to beyond batten disease
0: excellent yeah uh, good yeah. yeah so that's good another incentive for people to to get the book but it's definitely a worth worth getting thank you joe once again for sharing uh, a little bit of your story with us um through the book and today Absolutely. on the show thank you Joe Sikora. He's a former actor and stuntman. He was a police officer for 17 years and is now a marriage and family therapist. He's the host of the Joe Sikora show on Relevant Radio, and he's the husband and Lori, and they are the parents of John and Ben. Joe's book, Defying Gravity, is published by Ignatius Press. And here now is our featured artist of the week, Kyle Sinkuli with brother from his new album, Walk With Me.
2: life and vanity You traded all your hopes and dreams for insanity You caught a glimpse of the victor's crown in travesty But the golden jewels left you feeling empty Brother I see the light of heaven's porch there's a man that is waiting For you to open the door And even though you are lost There'd be so much more Brother, would you walk with me? Brother, would you walk with me? And just take my hand Take my hand Stay.
0: was Kyle Sincouli with Brother from his new album, Walk With Me. Kyle Sincouli is a young singer-songwriter from Central Texas. He began singing and playing guitar at local churches. Soon after, he began writing songs, and his debut album is titled Walk With Me. It's the album that we've been listening to. And now Kyle is playing big festival stages all over the United States and opening for the likes of Matt Marr and The Afters. And today, Kyle Sinculi is here with us on the Salt and Light Hour. Kyle, welcome to our program.
6: Yeah, thanks for having me, Deacon.
0: Um, so, question that I, I usually ask everybody when they first come on the show. What what was it like growing up for you? You grew up in Central Texas?
6: Yes. Yeah, so growing up was good. I was uh, in a small town of about uh, 2,500 people. Uh-huh. So, uh, everybody knows everybody, which right. is great. Yeah, um, to get the word out about anything. Um, <laughs> so, I growing up was good. I uh, did was focused in music a lot, and yeah. uh, my my dad actually got me into music. He was in a band for a while. So, okay, growing up was uh, mostly in and out of church doing uh-huh. music.
0: Okay, so you were you were growing up in in, in, in a church environment and in a musical environment. Yes. Um, and yes. Um, so, and were you doing, I guess, music in church as well?
6: Yeah, so I went to a small Catholic school, in, um the, t- the town I'm from is about 30 minutes north of uh, Waco, so the fixer-upper okay. capital
0: uh-huh. of the
6: world. <laughs> yeah. Um, wow. And so I started doing music at our Friday morning Masses um, when I was in the seventh grade.
0: Uh huh. Wow. And
6: so that's kind
0: of where it started. Wow. And but you were playing like you were doing masses and stuff. You weren't leading like leading worship worship or anything like that in grade seven. Where you? <laughs> no, not yet. <laughs> did you Did you as a teenager ever go through periods of time when you were like rebellious or doubting your faith?
6: Um. Not necessarily when I was a teenager. Um, uh huh. When, um, after a- after um grade school and going into high school, um. We, a few people from our church, um, St. Mary's in West, um, started a little youth band, and so we would do uh, small gigs around uh, at different churches. And I didn't get into worship leading until I got asked by the Baptist church in the town to okay. lead their youth services.
0: Oh, interesting, huh? Yes. Interesting. What was that like?
6: Uh, it was great. Um, because ha- half of my family um, is Southern Baptist. Okay, and okay. Other, and the other half is,
0: is Catholic. Okay, good. That's a good combination. Um, when when did you start writing your own stuff?
6: Um, I started writing uh, from what my parents told me when I was really young. <laughs> I would just, you know, write uh, <laughs> a little silly songs. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. didn't start taking it seriously until... Um, I was around 14 or 15.
0: Right. And were you writing church-based lyrics, or was it just stuff about anything?
6: Um, A lot of it was stuff that um, was related to me. And growing up um, north of Waco, uh, David Crowder was a huge influence, and so I really love writing church music. And actually, um, one of the songs off my album uh, is called um, from the Cross.
0: Oh, yeah.
6: I actually wrote when I was 14.
0: Oh, wow. So, yeah. yeah.
6: So a lot of it was early.
0: <laughs> wow. So then this first album, uh, Walk With Me, it, it was kind of a compilation of all the stuff you had written uh, uh, from when you started writing music, or some of the best stuff?
6: Yeah. So it was... This. The album started... The idea for it started when I had released, recorded, and released a song uh, called "Promised Land." Okay. Um, and one of one of the uh, men from our church sponsored me to go record it, and it ended up doing really well on uh, Amazon, and it sat at the number one spot for a little while. Oh yeah. My and my dad thought that that would be a good idea, um, for. Me to go ahead and record some of the other songs that yeah. I had, um, and so um, he sponsored the album and okay. um, told me that if I if I was going to do it, I had to I had to sit down and focus on it and write some good songs. So
0: <laughs> that's what I did. That's good good incentive to have your dad uh, sponsoring you. Um, d- did you ever play with your dad?
6: Um, he was in um, some some country cover bands, and
0: uh-huh.
6: um, wasn't really involved in, in church when I was growing up, um, music-wise. Okay. Um, so, But now we play together um, through the uh, acts
0: Okay. Uh, community. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Now, why did you settle on that title, Walk With Me?
6: Um, it actually was not my idea to call the song. I was going to title it, Off of the Track, Brother,
0: uh-huh. Okay. Uh huh. Okay.
6: And then I, I had a couple of people tell me that you should call it "Walk with Me" since it's you know kind of your journey up till now. Uh, right. If I would, thought that was a good idea, and <laughs> I listen to people that are smarter than me, so <laughs> that was <laughs> that was the idea behind it.
0: So, do you feel how how do you, how does that kind of summarize your journey up to this point?
6: So up to this point. Growing up, um, wanting to find out uh, about myself, uh, you know, you're kind of discovering yourself along along the way of high school and into early college and figuring out who you are. And a lot of those songs were songs that I didn't necessarily try to write to um, portray a specific message. It was what I was going through at the time,
5: mm-hmm.
6: and and how how my faith related to that, and um, didn't I didn't really discover how deep um, my faith life was until um, I actually walked away from the church for a little bit, right? Um, and came back to it, and so I think those songs are a reflection of that time. Uh-huh. Where I was discovering who I was.
0: Right. Um, uh, you're you're doing a lot of shows, live shows, and or hoping to do live shows. Um, are you also writing more music and recording still?
1: Is there?
6: Um, re- recently, um, I am taking a break. Um, I've been working a little bit um, on some different jobs, uh-huh. um, but am planning on um, getting back into writing. And uh, hopefully putting out another album here in the next couple of
0: years. Oh, good. That will be good because it's really good stuff, uh, Kyle. Um, uh, Thank you for for sharing a little bit of of what you do with us today. And and, uh, we look forward to more good music coming from you in the next couple of years. Make sure you let us know so we can get you back on the show. Okay?
6: yes, we will do. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Kyle Sinkuli, you can find out more. He's got a website. It's, uh, you know what? It's Kyle Sinkuli Music. But we're going to put that link on our site, slash radio, so you can find it easily. Um, Sinkuli, it's spelled S I N K U L E if you want to search him. Uh, But you can also look him up on Instagram. He's really busy on Instagram. At Kyle S. Official. Kyle S. Official is the handle for Instagram, for Kyle Sincooley, Let's uh, end with a song here now is Kyle Sincooley with Saul from his album Walk With Me.
2: I was dead in the grave Buried in all my sin I was six Feet under. Life was a game I couldn't win. Oh, but there was a fire burned bright deep within, and I was filled with desire. From this grave, I rise. Again.
0: We're listening to Kyle Sinculi with Saul from his new album, Walk With Me. And that will take us to the end of the program. Remember that you can always reach us via email at radio at You can also find Salt and Light on Facebook and Twitter at Salt and Light TV. And I'm at Deacon Pedro GM. There's also that voicemail app off our website saltonlighttv.org/radio. It's really easy to use if you want to send us a comment. Remember that you can also subscribe to the free Salton Light Hour podcast off iTunes and now on Google Play, and you can stream or podcast all our Salton Light Hour programs at our website saltonlighttv.org/radio. That's also where we post links to our artists or guests. So, please go and support what they do. Thank you for listening. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been the Salt and Light Hour.